Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 34. Matthew 6, verses 24 through 34. And as we come to God's word this morning, let us, let us pray together and ask for his blessing. Our Father in heaven, we come before you again to hear from you. Father, we want to receive from you this morning. We want to receive your Son. We want to receive your grace afresh as we open your word, as we read it, as we hear from it. We pray, Father, that you would be our teacher, that your Holy Spirit would, would guide us, that, that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand your word We pray, Father, that we would see Jesus in all of his glory and that we would be transformed into his image. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, open with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 24. Therefore I tell... uh, Sorry, this is 25. 24. No one can serve two masters... For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." What is the most difficult of the commandments? The command against murder, right? Jesus says it includes not just murder, but also being angry with your brother. That's pretty hard. The commandment against adultery, the commandment against theft, the commandment against lying. I actually think one of the most difficult of all commandments is in our passage this morning, and Jesus repeats it again and again. Three times, Jesus says, do not be anxious. When was the last time you were anxious? When was the last time you worried about something? The last time you were afraid that something might or might not happen? Afraid you might fail an exam? Afraid you might disappoint a parent or or make a fool of yourself in front of your friends? Afraid you might not have money to pay the bills? What are you worried about right now? What is weighing on your heart at the moment? Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, Oh, quit your worrying. Stop being so anxious. 
right? Don't, don't worry about money. Don't worry about rent or, or making a good impression in people. Don't, don't worry about your next exam. Stop worrying about your grades. Stop being anxious about, about your safety. Don't, don't, don't fear for your children. Don't worry about preparing to teach your next class, right? Just, just stop worrying. Did the worry stop? Right? Did the anxiety go away? Have you ever tried to talk yourself out of it, right? Uh, what, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, it's not going to be that bad after all. At least I've got my health. Unless, of course, that's what you're worried about. Did it work? Right? Could you talk yourself out of being worried? Does it, did it disappear? It, it just doesn't work like that, does it? We all know that. It just doesn't work. Do you know why it doesn't work? The Bible consistently teaches that the, that the law, that law is powerless to enable obedience. Right? Do not worry is a command. It's a law, right? It's, a, it's an imperative. Do not worry. Imperatives are powerless to actually enable what they're commanding people to do. I can tell you not to worry again and again and again. That won't enable you to stop worrying. In fact, eventually, if I keep saying it enough, it may only cause more worry, right? Because you'll start worrying about the fact that you're worrying, right? You'll start being anxious about your anxiety. So what is there in Jesus' words this morning that are different? Is there anything here in this uh, section in Matthew chapter 6 that can truly bring freedom from fear, that can truly release us from worry. Well, we're going to look at Jesus' words this morning under three main headings. You can see it in your bulletin, uh, uh, the outline. It's on the back of the bulletin. We're going to look at the context of anxiety, the the command against anxiety, and, and the conclusion that Jesus draws about anxiety. The context, the command, and the conclusion. And we'll start with the context. Jesus addresses anxiety about, about very specific things. He, he, he talks about your life, what you eat and what you drink. He talks about your body, what you wear. Now, humanity right, has not always had to worry about these things. I mean, think about it. In the very beginning, God created man, and, and he gave man, we're told in Genesis 1, every plant yielding seed and every tree with seed in its fruit for food. And God placed Adam in a garden full of fruit trees. He said, uh, you know, eat anything you want from every tree of the garden except one. But there were lots of trees there, right? And the, the point is there was an abundance of food for Adam in the garden. Man didn't worry about uh, clothing in the beginning either because, well, because he was naked. And he, he didn't need clothing because he had no shame because he had no sin. And so in the beginning, man was naked and full without any need of worrying about clothing or food. Of course, that didn't last, right? I mean, you turn from from one page from Genesis chapter 2 to the next page in Genesis chapter 3. When we do that, we turn from the abundance of creation to the scarcity of life in a broken world. After Adam and Eve rebel against God's rule, they are instantly full of shame. They want to hide their bodies. See, they had lost something that clothed them. They had lost their righteousness. They had lost their glory. The perfection of the image of God in in which they were created was now gone. All that was left was a pale image of that glory, a faded glory. 
So on account of their rejection of the rule of God, Adam and Eve are, are more naked than they ever were before. Of course, part of the curse as well was that the earth would no longer easily give forth food, right? Adam would have to toil and work and struggle and strive to get the food that he and his family needed. And when Adam tried to bring forth pumpkins and peas, thorns and thistles would grow up instead. Because of humanity's sin, clothing becomes a necessity and food becomes an uncertainty. Hence, we have anxiety and worry and fear. Now, there's another result of sin, right? I mean, worse even than those two. That is, in the garden, right, in the beginning, their father provided for their every need. But sin and rebellion brought distance between humanity and God. God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, out of his presence. See, they went from being children living under the rule of their father in a fruitful garden to being orphans alone in a desert wilderness. And while I'm skipping a lot, everything between Genesis chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 1, then comes Jesus, right? Then comes Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And he begins to say that the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus has come to restore the world under the rule of God. He he begins by restoring us to the Father. Now, Matthew doesn't break that down in a systematic way, but, but he presents Jesus as the Son of the Father. And then Jesus says, right, those who repent and follow him, those, they come into the kingdom and they are sons of God. Right? They've been restored to their Father. Jesus teaches his disciples to call God Father. He does that in the Lord's Prayer. He says we are to pray, our Father. See, Jesus is restoring us to our God. The Gospel of John deals with this in sort of a, a more didactic way. John 1.12, uh, John says, To all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. Uh, Paul does the same thing in Galatians chapter 4. Uh, he says, Jesus came so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Jesus, the Son of God, it came that we might become sons of God and children of the Father. And so in Matthew, Jesus addresses his disciples again and again, right? He he calls us sons or children of the Father. Now, we, we should take just a moment and ask, how does that happen? How could Jesus take us, orphans, alienated from God, uh, the, the God of heaven because of our sin, and make us children of the heavenly Father? How does Jesus do this? Well, he does this essentially by switching places with us. He takes our status with the Father as cursed rebels, and he gives us his status with the Father as beloved Son. We're given glimpses of that throughout Matthew. Again, in the beginning of the gospel, when Jesus is is tempted in the wilderness, he, he goes into the wilderness as the Son of God. Remember, he was just proclaimed to be the Son of God by the voice of the Father himself. And he goes into the wilderness, and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Whereas Adam was made as a son of God and placed in the fruitful garden with an abundance of food, Jesus is declared to be the son of God, and he's immediately driven into the wilderness to experience hunger. Why? Well, Jesus came to take upon himself the curse for sin. Sin brought hunger. Jesus came to experience that hunger for us. 
At the end of the gospel, when Jesus is dying on the cross, they, they strip him of his clothing and he dies naked. A sign of our shame being born by our Savior. Sin brought hunger and nakedness and alienation, making us orphans. Jesus comes as the Son, and he takes upon himself our hunger, our shame, and so he restores us to the Father to make us sons. This is the, the context of the command not to worry. Sin brought shame and hunger and alienation and makes us orphans. Jesus comes as the Son to experience shame and hunger for us and restore us as children of the Father. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been studying for a few weeks, is Jesus really explaining to us what it means to be sons, what it looks like to be children. And we've seen that, that so far that it means having the character of our Father in our hearts. It means seeking to please our Father with our actions. And this week, we'll see it means trusting our Father with our lives. And this brings us to the command, right? The command against our anxiety. Jesus repeats it uh, three times. He, he says it in verse 25. He says it in verse 31. He says it in verse 34. And, and he clearly wants us to get the point. Do not be anxious. Now, this comes on the heels of, re of the rest of chapter 6. In the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus uh, exhorts us not to practice our righteousness before men, not to live for earthly treasure. And then he ends that section with verse 24 which says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is saying, look, if you're living for the praise of men, you're not living to please your Father. If you're living for earthly treasure, you're not living for heavenly treasure. Whom do you serve? And it's important that we get what Jesus is saying here in verse 24. He's saying, whatever you serve... That is your master, right? Uh, whatever you live for, that is your functional God. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or a Jew or a Mormon or a Muslim, regardless of what you say, right? Whatever you live for, whatever you love above all else, whatever you're actively serving, that's your functional God. And what Jesus adds to that in, in these verses this morning is he's saying, look, just as much as active pursuit of worldly goods shows that you're serving another master, so anxiety about worldly goods shows the same thing. Worry shows we are living for some, something, some God other than our Father. And so Jesus says, do not be anxious. And in so doing, he challenges really all the false gods that lead us to worry. And then he gives us five reasons, five reasons not to worry. Reason number one, Jesus says your life is more than food. You see that in verse 25. Jesus points us to what is really obvious, the obvious that we often forget. He says your life is not just about food. Your body is not just about clothing. When you worry about these things... You are, you're living for these things. You're serving these things as if they were the end-all and be-all of life. But, but isn't it obvious, right, that food and clothing uh, aren't everything? Isn't your life more than food, Jesus says? Isn't your body about more than clothing? Then why are you serving the, the, the so-called gods of food and clothing? And this logic, right, it can be applied uh, to whatever it is that you worry about. Isn't your life more than grades? Isn't your life more than money? Isn't your life more than your career? Isn't your life more than family? 
Right? These things, they may all be good things. They may be important things. But your life is more than these things. To serve and worship them, to live for them, is to act as if they were everything, as if they were your God. But think of how bad a God they really are, right? Can food give you relationships? Right? Can a career give you family? Can grades give you pleasure? Right? I mean, the, the truth is they can't. To live for any one of these right, is to live for something very, very small. But not only is your life uh, more than any one of these, your life is more than all of them combined, isn't it? Because uh, your life is not just about material things. It's not just about worldly possessions. It's, it's not just about social status and standing. You, you have a soul, right? You have a, a relationship to the creator of the universe. Jesus says that's what life is really about. In fact, Jesus says at one point in, in, in the Gospel of John, he says to, that this is life, to know God the Father and know Jesus the Son. That's life. That's real life. It's to know God, to know Jesus. Your life is so much more than food. It's about a relationship to the God who made the universe. There's something bigger going on. You may need food. Of course you do, right? Jesus taught us to pray uh, for it in the Lord's Supper back in, in verse 11. You need it, but it's not everything. You need it, but don't worship it, right? Your life is more than food and anything else that you can fill in the blank, right? Your life is more than those things. Do not be anxious, Jesus said. Your life is more than food. Do not be anxious. Reason number two, your father values you. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then verse 28, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus here makes two arguments from the character of God, really. He's saying the God of heaven, your Father, who feeds the birds with seed, right? who clothes the grass with flowers, your Father, he values you more than he values them. Verse 26, are you not of more value than they? Verse 30, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Right? God values you more than the birds. God values you more than the grass. God cares for them. Of course, he's going to care for you. Again, compare this, right, to the, to the false gods that we worry about, right? Does your money value you? No, you value it, right? Works the other way around. Uh, does your reputation care for you? No, you have to care for it, right? When we worship and serve some created thing, when we worry about getting it, when we are anxious about losing it, we are valuing that thing, but that thing doesn't value us at all. But the true God... The true God values his children. Do you know that you are valuable to God? This is true, right? If you are in Christ, if you have become a child of the Father, 
Your Father values you. He cares for you. He delights in you. And until you understand this, until this soaks into your bones, right, you will live with anxiety. You will live in fear. But if you know that your Father in heaven values you, that he cares for you, that he's watching over you, then you have no reason to fear. Now, if you struggle with this thought that that the Father values you, if that's kind of an odd thought to you, just look at the cross. I mean, on the cross, we, we see the price that the Father paid to make us his children. He gave up his son. John 3.16, right, one of the most well-known verses says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. How much does God love the world? How much does God value the world? Peter puts it this way. He says, God bought you, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. See, the Father valued you at the highest price possible, the price of the life of his only Son. Now, maybe you think, okay, all right, so God values me. I get that. He, he places worth on me. But valuing me is different from providing for me, right? So let's keep going. Uh, do not be anxious, Jesus says. Reason number one, your life is more than food. Reason number two, your father values you. Reason number three, your father knows what you need. Right? Look at verses 31 and 32. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Right? We could imagine a scenario where, where we know that God values us, but if he doesn't know what we need, he can care all he wants, but he can't do us any good. Right? I mean, people are like this sometimes. You may find yourself in a situation where you're in need of something, where you're in need of money or food or friendship, right? And you have you know, mom and dad or, or a close brother or sister on the other side of the world, and they care about you a great deal, but, but they have no idea what you need. And because of that, they're powerless. Right? They, they don't know what you need because they're not here. And God seems distant, doesn't he? God seems like he's far off. He's not here, right? He's in heaven. Maybe he doesn't know what I need. Maybe, maybe he doesn't bother with the details of my life. Maybe I really am on my own after all. Jesus says the Gentiles think this way. You remember them from that last week, right? They seek to manipulate God to get material goods, Jesus says. They worship food and clothing, right? They live for this life. Could there be any more simple description of our own age, right? Of our own country, right? That, that, that we live for material things like food and clothing. You know, we all want to taste something new or, or wear something new or experience something new. But notice what Jesus says. He says, look, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows what you need. We don't have to worry. We don't have to wonder whether uh, everything is going to turn out. Our Father who values us more than the birds of the air, He knows what we need. He hasn't abandoned us. He's not far off. He isn't aloof. He's not unconcerned uh, or in the dark about your situation. He knows exactly what you need right now at this moment. Now, again, if you're feeling like God really is far off, that he can't possibly know, I mean, how can God know what it's like to drag myself out of bed each day or to plow through boring homework or to to wonder where his next meal is going to come from? How can he know what it's like to wrestle through hunger and fear and loneliness? 
The answer, of course, again, is found in Jesus, right? He came into the world to suffer all that we suffer and more. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He experienced nakedness and hunger. Most of all, on the cross, he experienced alienation from his father, loneliness, abandonment, in a way that we will never have to experience as God's children. Hebrews says that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus knows your troubles. He has experienced them firsthand, which means your father knows what you need, right? His only son has been there, done that. Your father knows what you need. Think about, again, the false gods, right, of money or power or pleasure or career or whatever it is, right? Does your money know what you need, right? Does Does your career know what you need? So Jesus says, do not be anxious, right? Your life is more than food. Your father values you, and your father knows what you need. Reason number four, your father will provide. See, this is where Jesus is going in everything he's saying. He says it multiple times explicitly. Verse 30, he says, will he not much more clothe you? Verse 33, all these things will be added to you. Your heavenly father values you. He knows what you need, and he promises to provide. Again, the gospel makes this abundantly clear, doesn't it? Paul says in Romans, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all? all things. God will care for his own. He will provide what we need. Your life is more than food. Your father values you. Your father knows what you need. need. Your father will provide. And the last reason Jesus gives is your anxiety is powerless. And Jesus slips this in. Did you notice? He slips it in in verse 27. Verse 27, he says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I mean, does your anxiety really do any good? You know, unlike God, your anxiety is impotent. It's powerless. You can't make yourself live longer by being anxious. In fact, of course, modern medicine will say anxiety decreases your lifespan. It's just the opposite. Worry has an adverse effect on your body. This is probably also what Jesus is getting at in verse 34. Verse 34 says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He's saying your anxiety does more harm than good. There are enough things you have to concern yourself with right now, being anxious about what might happen in the future, whether five minutes from now, five days, or five years, right? It only distracts you from what you need to concern yourself with at this very moment. And what is that, right? What does Jesus want us to concern ourselves with at the moment? And this brings us to the conclusion, doesn't it? This brings us to the kingdom, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... And all these things will be added to you. Jesus brings us back to the bigger picture. He says, pursue something worth pursuing. Right? God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Let your father take care of what only he can take care of. You seek the kingdom. You pursue obedience to your father. Let him take care of the rest. God will care for his own. He will provide what you need. Now, of course, there's the, there's the rub, isn't it? We, we want more than our needs, don't we? We keep pursuing the things of this world as if they were our life. We're on this sort of endless, futile chase to get satisfaction from the world, and we worry that we won't get it. 
And when Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows what you need and seek his kingdom and everything you need will be given to you, it doesn't move us. It doesn't move us because we want more. Jesus says, pursue God's kingdom, but we are in hot pursuit of our own kingdoms. And of course, this is why Jesus came, isn't it? He he came to pardon rebels who have been setting up rival kingdoms. And he came to offer us a bigger kingdom. Something bigger than the small confines of our individual lives. Now, if you are, if you are not a Christian, right, you, you actually have good reason to be anxious here. I mean, if you believe that this world is all there is, then you must scramble to grab what you can while you can. You must scramble to, to build your own kingdom. And it's all very uncertain, isn't it? I mean, that, that, that's a lot to worry about. Will you get enough? Will you get what you need? Will you get what you want? And, of course, you're the only one who's going to worry about that. I mean, especially if there's no God to watch over you, to care for you, who values you, who knows your needs, who promises to provide, it's all on your shoulders if there's no God. And as we said in the beginning, if you're not a, again, if you're not a Christian, for all practical purposes, you're an orphan in the desert wilderness of life. That's a lot to bear on your shoulders. But Jesus came... So that rather than tirelessly striving to establish our own kingdoms, we might, by grace, receive a bigger kingdom, his kingdom. We might be a part of the renewal of all things, the renewal of the world without sin, without shame, without hunger. That's what Jesus came to do, to restore this world. The renewal of a world where rather than orphans in the desert, we are children in the garden once again. And of course, that renewal of all things, it has begun in the resurrection of Jesus, and it has begun when he poured out his spirit on us to renew us from the inside out, to renew our hearts, to renew our lives. That's the beginning of that renewal that Jesus is bringing. Do you want this kingdom? Right? Do you want something more, not more of this world, but something more than the present world has to offer? Let these truths sink into your heart. Right? Your, life, your life is more than food. Your life is more than whatever this world can give. Your father values you in the cross. He knows what you need. He's proven he will provide by giving you his son. Seek your father's kingdom and let him worry about what you need. Let's pray. Our father, we pray that you would... That you would Enable us by your spirit to pursue you. Father, we're so worried. We're so anxious about so many things. We have so many fears lying on our hearts right on the surface, Father. They pop up again and again throughout the day. We worry about this. We worry about that. We fret about this. We're anxious about that. Father, they're there. Direct our eyes back to you. Remind us that there's more to this life than all the stuff that we can see with our eyes and touch with our hands. Remind us that we have a Father in heaven who cares for us, who's watching over us, who values us, who loves us, and who will provide what we need when we need it. And help us to trust you, Father. Help us to rest in your love, knowing that your timing is perfect. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.